Welcome to On Air, the CFM podcast. For over 50 years, CFM Distributors has been your leading HVACR wholesale distributor in the Midwest. In this HVACR podcast, you'll hear from employee owners of CFM Distributors who will provide you with stories, experiences, resources, and ideas to better your business. You can find more information and episodes on our website at cfmdistributors.com or email us at info at cfmkc.com. Hello everyone, I'm Pat Thomas and thank you for tuning in to CFM On Air. I'm with Scott Jesse and we are going to talk about why compressors fail, kind of get into a little bit of what happens, what to look for, why it happens and kind of delve into some compressor failures and, and what we see and try to give you some nuggets of wisdom so we can kind of figure out what to do or how to diagnose or how to keep it from happening again. So a lot of uh, the compressor failures that we see, Scott, I, I think a lot of it, you know, we, we see mechanical failures, we see electrical failures, but a lot of times we see something that could possibly be a system failure that may disguise itself as electrical, and a lot of what we see may not be the compressor that was actually faulty manufactured. Uh, exactly, Pat, because a lot of times what you'll find out is when you come out on a job, you know, you'll find out that you've got... You know, a shorted motor for some reason. So, and that just kind of has you thinking that you had some kind of electrical issue with the system. And really, that's not the case a lot of times. A lot of times, you know, 60% of the times that you see a, an electrical failure, it's actually some reason that you've had something happen within the motor, yes, but it, it could be due to liquid refrigerant flood back or something along those lines that causes burying wear. So that's one of the things, like you say, it kind of disguises an electrical issue because it is a short motor, but how did that happen and why did it happen? Right, and, and if we kind of maybe make some major groups of compressor mechanical failures, I mean, we look at refrigerant floodback, we look at flooded starts, we look at slugging, overheating of the compressor, or, or even loss of oil is, is some of the big contributing factors to why these compressors fail. Um, you know, if we start getting into liquid refrigerant flood back and, and we start thinking about that, I mean, what are some of the things we look for? I mean, what, what are kind of some of the, the pitfalls maybe in the system that may be overlooked or, or, or even just some of the standard things we see that causes a, a flood back situation? Uh, yeah, like you say, for uh, the liquid refrigerant flood back, for instance, and that's one thing where I was kind of mentioning earlier that you, you can see bearing wear a lot of times. So um, things that can create that, um, you could have uh, basically a, a loose bulb on an expansion valve where it's not making good contact. Uh, you could have, for some reason, a, a low airflow over evaporator coil. It could be a dirty filter. Or if you have a refrigeration system, maybe you have a fan or two out, if it's a multiple fan evaporator, possibly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, dirty coils will create these kind of scenarios that you you run across like that. So, the, the thing is, is that you, you know, you kind of kind of look at several different things whenever you have a compressor failure. Because um, a lot of times, you know, if you just take that compressor out and put a brand new one in and don't really dive in and find out what caused it to fail, then you're going to be back out there two or three weeks again changing the compressor. Call back and nobody wants to call back and you're, you're back there and, and then you kind of lose faith with you know, the customer kind of loses faith in you and, and you know, it, it's a costly deal. It is. So, so trying to diagnose and find out what caused the compressor failure is basically first and foremost. 
if you think about it, what's the most expensive part of that condensing unit? It's the compressor, right? I mean, that's pretty much the heart of the system. Exactly, because if, if you think about a compressor, you know, a compressor sitting there, if it's got, you know, if it doesn't have high discharge or it doesn't have some kind of an issue for the flood back or um, condenser fan motor failure or evaporator fan, you know, they'll run a long time um, because they sit there and as long as they're fed the, the right amount of that, well, cool gas back to them to keep the motors cool and vapor and not liquid, they're, they're going to be a happy camper. They're going to be a happy camper, right. Yeah. And then we start, a lot of times you, you, you think about, you've got frost coming back on the suction line and maybe you've got frost even at the compressor. Is that always a, a symptom of flood back? I mean, we think about the genre of, of, of everything that everybody, you know, comes into contact with, maybe HVAC and refrigeration, different types of of systems that these compressors are in. So, I mean, if we see that frost on a refrigeration system coming back to the compressor, is that typically a sign of flood back or? No, no, just like you say, you gotta look at the application you're dealing with. You know, if, if it's air conditioning, I would be concerned because, you know, that's gonna tell us that for some reason, you know, an evaporator coil on air conditioning, it's operating at really 45 degrees suction. So we shouldn't be seeing ice forming on that. But if you look at a, you know, a refrigeration system where you're operating in a freezer at a minus 10, uh, by golly, we should see some ice. Yeah, we've got a negative you know. 20 suction line, and, and if it's not insulated, you know, depending on the dew point of the air, it's, it's going to frost, right? Exactly. So it just kind of depends on the application you're dealing with. So you, you got to think about that. And, and when we think about semi-hermetic compressors, uh, which which we do a lot of here. I mean, we through National Compressor, we've got the you know uh, you know replacements for the Copeland, the Carlisles, the the trains, and all that. You know, if we think about a, a semi-hermetic and we take it apart and we think about refrigerant floodback, if you're looking at that trying to say, hey, what causes this compressor to fail? If we see floodback, what are we going to see inside that compressor? I mean, what's what's going to be well, one of those things that says, hey, yeah, that was a floodback situation? Uh, well, what you're going to start seeing is it's going to be bearing wear because as the oil gets diluted by the liquid refrigerant then it, it loses its lubrication ability. So what you'll see is this, as you go tear one down the farther away that you get from the oil pump the more wear that you'll see. So if you think about that the oil pump is picking up oil from the sump and it runs through the pump and then it goes across the crankshaft and it lubricates all the different rods and the journals and then it lubricates the last place is the bearing. The center right. bearing, and that center bearing is responsible for supporting the rotor and keeping the rotor up off of the stator. So, like we were saying earlier, a lot of times you'll go out a job and say, "Hey, I've got some kind of an electrical failure out here, and this motor shorted out," and that's just what it is. But actually, you could be having a flood back that's creating that scenario. So, you think about that bearing wear and all right there, and, and we talked about that. So. Between that stator and the rotor, there's about the thickness of a business card there. So if that bearing starts to wear and it drops, you're basically going to have a, a I guess, what would you call it, a spot burn or, you know, when, when it touches. Exactly. So uh, if you tear down a compressor like that, we kind of, you know, if you pull off the stator cover and you can feel play in the end of that, and if you go ahead and pull the rotor off of it, you'll see where that is dipped down and created. And sometimes you can even, if you have, you know, the aluminum or brass that gets in there. You'll also see the particulate it, in the sump then, I guess. Or, yes. Yeah. And it can, it can cause a short there also. So 
you know, that's one thing that you need to think about the scenarios is what's causing those things. And it could be basically liquid flood back. And then we think about superheat uh, and, and, and the proper superheat coming back to the compressor. So, I mean, you, know, you talked about, you know, if it's a refrigeration or a freezer, possibly we might have frost on the, on the, on the suction line, right? Or the can coming back to the compressor because it's below dew point and it's going to frost. But really the thing on superheat is we got to make sure that we're looking at the suction line temperature at the compressor and the suction pressure at the compressor and calculating superheat to make sure it's getting the proper amount, right? Exactly, because you know you, you want to see between 15 and 20 degrees of superheat, um, and more so when you get into lower temp. You know, typically on air conditioning, you'd like to see about a 65 degree return gas temperature. Right. You know. Right. But when you get more into you know refrigeration, you know we could be dealing with we want to be dealing down in the low. You know, basically down to uh, you know somewhere around 25 degree. Uh, return gas temperature. So right. you, you got to be kind of looking at those things so that you, you see what's going on. Right, right. And then we start talking about flooded starts, right? I mean, so, you know, refrigeration migration, things like that. So basically what's happening is we're getting refrigerant vapor back in the crankcase. And, and then it's just basically it's stratifying in a way, right? Right. So if you think about it, a lot of times that during, you know, the off cycle that you can have that stratification occur, you know, and so whenever it's running, you know, it's just oil dilution more so. But whenever it, that's when you kind of get into more of like a, a flooded start scenario. So if you think about that, you know, the oil is lighter than the liquid refrigerant. So it's going to float on top uh, in, in the crankcase. So what happens is this compressor is sitting idle. And right. then when it goes to start, what you do is you have a rapid reduction in the crankcase of that compressor. And so therefore, all of a sudden, that oil that's laying down, or I should say the refrigerant is laying down below the oil, it flashes off. So it's almost like an eruption that occurs where, and, and it carries, you know, it carries the oil and the liquid and it all comes through and starts to go on top through the valve plate and tries to come down and get compressed. Right. So that's where you run into problems where you have flooded starts. Sometimes you're fortunate enough, you know, that you can go ahead and, and get through a flooded start. And, you know, it'll continue to run. But sometimes you're not. So that's one thing you want to make sure that you have things like crankcase heaters. Uh, if you're dealing with refrigeration, that's one of the reasons we oh, like yeah. to do yeah. pump Crank, downs. Right, exactly. Controlling the refrigerant in the off cycle, right? So exactly. I mean, that's a big part of it. And then, you know, we, we even think about on, on going out on startups on refrigeration. We want to make sure that that, you know, we want to make sure that those crankcase heaters have been running at least 24 hours prior to we get out there. And then even at that point, we're trying to bump start a compressor to make sure that, you know, we don't have any any liquid refrigerant that might have stratified in there or, or migrated back. And then we basically reduce that crankcase pressure and boil that refrigerant off so we don't have a problem or a failure or, or damage or anything like that. Right, and you think about we we we've talked about this before. We think about the torque that a, a three-phase scroll compressor has. I mean, so it's it's going to motor through that, right? So what's going to happen there? Yeah, because you know, like you say, is a lot of times on the, the single-phase scrolls, um, you know, it'll actually lock up, but yet it won't create any damage to the scroll. Um, but it doesn't have the torque that a three-phase does. So the motor will basically stall, and it'll heat up, and it'll boil off any refrigerant you have down in the crankcase. But on a three-phase scroll, 
it does have the torque and it has the ability to power right through a slug and when you have a slug and now when you start to break things and when you shatter a scroll um, yeah you're yeah. it's done it's done so. right right so we've kind of gone through that and then we start thinking about the slugging that's kind of one of the more severe of those failure modes so you get that slug back you can't you know you think about it a compressor is a vapor pump so that liquid refrigerant or even if we had oil that came back all at once maybe you know system came out of defrost or or maybe we've replaced a compressor and for some reason that compressor is pumping the oil out into the low side of the system and then all that oil from that evaporator comes back or or scenarios like that and then it can't compress it and boom we put a new compressor in and we've we've just no, blown the valves out or we broke a crank or, or whatever the case may be oh no you're, you're exactly right because a lot of times you need to think about when you do a compressor change out that um, you know that old compressor in there it was less efficient and it might be down on far as the velocities sure that it was operating so you get oil logging out so whenever you put a new compressor in, you're operating at, at full CFH and it's, it's putting the flow through there and then now you're bringing all that oil back. So when you do a startup on a semi-hermetic, you really need to kind of monitor them for a little bit and make sure you watch the sight glass level because you know that oil that went out in the system is going to come back now that we expansion exactly. valves are wide open, the velocities are up. So there's things that you need to do far as once you put in the new compressor, you need to check things and find out what caused the old one to fail. So, and, and you think about that when we start talking about how we find out what's going on with the compressor. We have the ability with a semi-hermetic to go back and pull it apart and see what happened. Now with a scroll or a recip, I mean obviously you're, you're, you're wanting the factory to, to do a teardown and tell us what happened. I mean that's a process where we have somebody has to tell us here at CFM, hey we want to know what killed this compressor. Or maybe somebody actually cuts the hermetic weld and looks at the compressor if it's not in warranty to kind of see what happened, right? You know, those are the things we kind of, you know, go through. But slugging, if we were to look at a semi-hermetic and, and open it up, we're going to see broken, bent, damaged reeds, maybe a blown gasket, possibly, right? Uh, the backers for the, for the valves bent up in some cases. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, the rods or the crankshafts actually broken. I mean, we've actually, you know, I've done teardowns before and just to see what happened on some of these, and it looks like somebody's taken a grenade and, and stuck it in the compressor, sealed it up, and let it, you know, blow apart. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know how many times we've seen basically a, a rod snapped into, you know, um, you know, where it snapped off a, a reed valve. You know, and, and a lot of times you need to think about uh, sometimes whenever you replace a, a valve plate on a compressor, you know, you, you look at that and uh, you see you've had a couple snap discharge reads or something. Well, the thing is that you, a lot of times, all of a sudden you put that new valve plate on and you, you're hearing like rod knock inside. Well, what happens a lot of times in these compressors is, is that it really relies on, you know, the compression stroke and the suction stroke. And what happens on a lot of times the rods with the wrist pins they relied on the loading and unloading of that wrist pin in order for it to get lubrication all the way around the pin. And when we don't get that loading and unloading, then all of a sudden we just have, we get wrist, you know, pin wear um, on the rod where it turns egg-shaped. So when you go ahead and, and fire off, you know, after that valve just plate Just change the valve plate change and you fire off this compressor and you're hearing it knock and now we're kind of 
Yeah, and just a little thing to think about too is when, let's say you've rolled up and it's a new customer, um, a lot of times it, look and see on the valve plates and you can tell whenever those compressors come out from the factory, those compressors are all painted black, even the valve plates. So if you come up on a job and all of a sudden you look at this valve plate and you see it's shiny steel, well, you're not the first one that's changed the valve plate. Somebody's been in there and so, opened that puppy up and changed the valve plate. And so, yeah, that's where we got to figure out, hey, what's going on? That's where you put your uh, your, your detective hat on and try to figure out what's going on. Because you, you don't want to be married to it after the fact that somebody else has worked on it, put another valve plate on, and then you're still in the same situation, right? I mean, yeah. that so costs us all money. So Doing all the troubleshooting and just taking, th you know, checking everything out, you know, to make sure it, it's right, you know, and... Uh, a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of these compressors have issues as far as high discharge. You know, right. and that's another thing. We were, we were kind of talking on the, you know, flooded side of thing, a flooded start, flood back, slugging. But, you know, also you can have trouble with uh, overheating on a compressor. You know, you could have had basically where it's had condenser yeah, we, fan motors failed. It could right. be and plugged. It, it, right, and you start, you, now we're looking at high compression ratios, high return gas temperature. Do we have a lack of external cooling, you know, for the compressor itself? And then, so at that point, I, I guess we start thinking, you know, when does the oil break down? When, when, what are kind of the, the things that we need to look at as far as oil temperatures on, on the discharge line where that overheating is causing a problem with the oil, which can in turn cause mechanical failure, right? Right. You know, if you stay down below 225 on the discharge line, you're staying pretty much in the safe zone. Okay. And you want to make sure that when you check that, you use your thermometer and you want to check it six inches away from the discharge valve on the compressor. Because um, one thing you got to remember is that you're checking it externally and the temperatures that you could be seeing are somewhere probably 50 to 75 degrees hotter inside that cylinder. Right, right. So, so you know, 225 is good, 250 you're hitting the danger level and it, 275 which you know you're going to be seeing probably close to 350 internally yeah, yeah. I, and and that's you know that's what some of the key facts about oil temperature you think about it you know the oil's going to vaporize between 310 to 320 degrees fahrenheit on some of these oils and that's going to cause ring and cylinder wear and then you know it's going to start breaking down around 350 degrees fahrenheit and now we're creating contaminants we're accelerating whatever wear that we've had so it just exacerbates any problems we've already got and then at, at some point, the compressor is going to give up the ghost. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Well, all right. Well, Scott, uh, we've got a lot to talk about on compressors, and um, we will probably do another uh, podcast, kind of talking a little bit more and getting a little bit more in depth on some of these issues. I want everybody to remember that uh, we're uh, doing National Compressor Exchange for Semi Hermetics, where we can do uh, large carrier carlisle type compressors uh, copeland compressors uh, train compressors through national compressor exchange that we stock on hand here at cfm we've got a lot of lg compressors uh, that replace a lot of, uh, of the scrolls that we have in stock here at cfm uh, so come see as far as a recepts on fractional and, and uh, some of the air conditioning compressors so we want you to remember where your compressor source we've got a lot of knowledge a lot of experience to help you out on our counters and superstores to be able to help you find these compressors, cross them over, and come up with a solution for your, your problems out there. So give us a call at CFM. Thanks for listening to CFM On Air. I'm Pat Thomas. I'm Scott Jesse. Thanks for listening.
Thank you for listening today. You can tune in each Tuesday right here for new episodes. If you'd like more information, visit CFM's website at cfmdistributors.com or email us at info at cfmkc.com.